Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher and the founder of Impeak. My guest on today's podcast is Chris Wallace, formerly a proof artist and now the founder of UltraDAO, building a passionate community of creators, collectors, and fans interested in decentralized IP and brands. So without further ado, let's dive right into the conversation with Chris Wallace. So um, you can you know, imagine that I probably uh, don't know a lot about your work, Chris. I have heard a lot about Woody's. <laughs> I, um, I don't know enough about that. I don't own one. And I came into the Proof Discord a few months ago and um, you know, I saw that people were talking about um, you and Woody's and, and different you know, things that you do. And then I discovered Ultra Dow. Um, so imagine like I have met you now in a, a party in, in like a dinner, you know, and I ask you, what do you do? <laughs> so <laughs> what's your, what's your, what's your elevator pitch? <laughs> Honestly, like that's, that's actually a really great question. My wife, um, doesn't even know how to explain it to anyone. Right. So people ask her what I do and, and she says that, you know, I'm like a, some sort of digital art dealer, <laughs> which is such an oversimplified, uh, thing. Um, but it, it is funny. So, um, you know, when I got into the space, like I was just interested in digital art and, you know, somebody invited me to foundation, which is, you know, just a, a minting, um, website for, for NFTs. And I learned about NFTs through that and then kind of got hooked and eventually, you know, started collecting turned it into more than just a hobby um, and founded UltraDAO, which is basically a collective of artists. Um, and through UltraDAO, uh, we decided to launch Woody's, which is a PFP project. And, um, you know, it has a little bit more meaning behind it than like your typical PFP project. There's a very environmental theme. Um, you know, we donated $250,000 to charity, which planted like over a million trees, uh, which is a really cool thing to be a part of, which I, I couldn't even have dreamed if you would have told me, you know, a couple of years ago that I would quit my, you know, high paying executive job to go start an artist collective and, and plant a bunch of trees and you know stuff like that. Like, I just would have been like, no way, like, it's not, that's not legit. Um, so that's, that's kind of the origins of it. Um, and then from there, I mean, we wanted to sort of build this web three community together. Uh, we want to, you know, bring collectors and creators together as much as possible and add value to the space. And so that's where UltraDAO is now. Um, in addition to sort of building the Woody's brands and producing content and sort of building the lore behind that project, we're also working with artists to release collections and reach collectors outside of their sort of sphere of influence um, and teach them how to sort of interact in a, in a healthy um, manner, right? So they can, they can put their work out there on the blockchain. They can get new collectors. They can build their, um, you know, sort of build their collections and, and have a long-term uh, plan for, for how they mint their work. So that's, that's interesting in some ways, that sounds a little bit also like what Proof is doing, right? So, um, you know, Proof has got their artists and then they ba basically help them, you know, reach a bigger audience, etc. Is 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 it quite similar in that sense, would you say? Yeah, I would say it, it is similar. I think for us, we've, uh, we've always sort of been art first in the sense that like our main goal wasn't just to sort of build um, you know, sort of this like tremendous empire of, you know, like NFTs and, and things like that. It was really more to help artists and sort of establish a group that, that supports each other. Um, but I think proof really has like, you know, th like the way that they approach it was just a little different. Um, and, you know, they sort of started with that all encompassing, uh, you know, proof membership and then got into the PFP side and then, you know, sort of it's, it's developing more into, I would say, like a software business, um, which is not, I mean, it's not exactly where we're going with it, but it is similar in that regard with all the community building aspect. 
Yeah, so I think in, in some ways you could say that pretty much most uh, NFT communities are quite similar in, you know, in yeah, a sense, sure. like everybody's trying to build a community right now. I think over time, this is going to change and, and there's going to be a lot more differentiation. But right now, pretty much, you know, everybody is doing this thing of, okay, we are going to mint a certain number of NFTs and then we are going to go into this Discord. You know, I think you are starting to see some of this changing like for example we have our own platform um, but we are initially going to use um uh discord for the chat functionality and then have all the sessions and everything on the platform okay so uh so so can you tell me a little bit about you know like when i came into ultra dao uh, what is that token that i bought and what's this new one that's that we are going to be minting yeah, so there's two different um, NFTs as a part of UltraDAO. So one is a creator membership, which is what you're a part of. The creator membership really is that side of the the UltraDAO that like fosters, you know, um, the the creator. Like, how do I mint? How do I build a project? You know, who who should I be marketing to? How do I get uh, you know connected over from Web three to maybe like Web two communities? You know, it's, it's, it's really to help the creator in every aspect. And so, you know, we want to deliver content that, that helps them understand, um, you know, how other creators maybe did it and what, you know, insights they can glean from that. We also want to help connect them up with people that can help them build projects. So developers, designers, really anybody that's coming in, maybe from a Web2 background that's, that's dabbling in Web3 and wants to build a project, not just by themselves, but with others. Uh, we really want to connect people from that community together and, and sort of help them on their way um, to being successful in Web3. So that's the creator membership side. Um, and then on the other side, it's the Ultra Pass, which is our collector utility token. The Ultra Pass basically allows you to sign up for drops that our creators are actually producing, right? So we're going to have two collections. One's going to be curated. Um, one's going to be community-oriented. So there will be drops that happen uh, kind of across the range of, you know, different types of art, different artists uh, that are voted upon by the creator community and released to the collector community so that they can sort of be introduced to our creators through those drops, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So before the whole NFT craze <laughs> in some ways, uh, you know, buying art was not so much of a thing for the average person. Like, for example, I'm a, I'm a business owner, you know, and, and like have a, uh, have a lot of different interests, but, but this, like, I, I didn't wake up in the morning thinking I'm going to buy art. Um, but because of the NFTs, NFT space, you know, art has become something that people are buying, trading, speculating on. Um, I very much agree with what uh, 6529 said about uh, the fact that, um, you know, NFTs are essentially altcoins with a JPEG. You know, I think that's what it is, right? Um, if, if we see it from that perspective, uh, it, it, it does make a lot more sense as to why people would buy it and, and trade it. But that also means that as new people come into the space, it's going to be a lot more saturated, a lot more difficult to get those, um, you know, into people's uh, top of mind. So then you need to have a lot of new people coming into the space to buy that, those as well, because otherwise like a small group of us just sort of buying it from each other. So um, with, with what you're doing now, uh, you know, like, of course, uh, Kevin has got his uh, one going on with, with proof and then you know there are other ones like for example there's the relics um guys i don't know if you if you're familiar with them so they are also doing something similar in the sense that you know they are uh, they were originally a, a web 2 model of you know bringing uh, art to people you would go in and and um uh, you know order prints of different sizes etc so now they're bringing that into the web 3 space um i just wonder how much demand do you think there will be for all this art being generated? And um, let's say, for example, if I buy uh, the new pass, uh, 
you know, like I, okay, I will get these drops. So what am I going to do with them? You, you know, like, ju ju yeah. I'm just asking from the viewpoint of like a complete uh, outsider, you know, like people totally. listening to this podcast will be thinking, okay, how much art can I, you know, have? And, and what does it mean? I'm just spending money, right? So what right. does that mean? Right. So, so can you try and explain it to people looking from outside? That's a great question. I, I mean, I think that's, uh, if, if you would have asked me a lot of these questions before I entered the space, I would have been like, I don't know why I would buy art on the blockchain or, or what have you, right? Like I didn't understand it either. Um, and I think where it unlocked for me was, you know, I came into this space and, you know, started looking at, you know, all of the just amazing artists that I'd never heard of before. Like I'm, I'm not from the traditional art world. I, I don't have a an art history backgrounds. Um, but when I saw how the technology was sort of enabling artists to put their work out there on a global scale and connect with other people who, who want to support those artists, who want to own their work and say that they have a piece of that sort of cultural history, um, I realized how important it was because like, you're right. Like when I look at my house and, and all the places that I could hang art, there's a limited amount of wall space, right? Like I can only have so much and I'm, I'm typically going to, you know, the uh, hobby lobby or someplace down the street where you can go pick up a print or, you know, a, a like, you know, fake canvas uh, reprint of, of something and you know cost five bucks ten bucks hundred bucks whatever it is right and you put it on your wall um and that's the end of it but i think what's really interesting with this new technology is the ability to not only own these pieces but to have that connection with the artist to where they're actually offering printing services they're saying hey if you own one of my nfts you can get this printed you can have it signed shipped to you and hang it in your house as well you could actually put it on a digital frame that way you can hang really an unlimited number of pieces. You can sort of rotate them, right? Um, and then you'll always have them in your wallet at, at the same time. So you can always look at them on your phone, you know, on um, whatever devices that you have, things like that. And we're still early in that regard in terms of the possibilities, which are going to be pretty impressive um, in just a few years' time. But I think like what's really, really cool is we have the opportunity to sort of shape what the most important, you know, experiences look like for digital art on the blockchain today. And when you look at, when you look at, um, you know, experiences that like bright moments, uh, which is, you know, doing some amazing things, um, you know, in-person experiences, live minting experiences, things like that. I think that's really where the future is with what we want to do um, is make experiences for minting not just release a bunch of art, right? Um, the art is important and it's it's interesting and we want to share it with the world, but we also want to curate our own experiences that are uniquely from us and from our, our artists. So I think that's where we have a, a really cool opportunity. Um, and there's only a few organizations that are really doing that in a compelling way today. And there's gonna need to be a lot more for this to, to reach a, a mass adoption um, sort of level, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what? Uh, so you mentioned a few organizations. Do you want to do? Uh, can you uh, name a few? So I think Artblocks is doing some really cool stuff. Um, they're they're enabling some really interesting uh, live minting experiences. I know. Um, gosh, I'm, I'm trying to think of who all. Um, I think Bright Moments is probably my favorite, just because they have a series of events that are actually connected around the world that people are trying to, you know, they want to basically get access to every one of those events and be able to mint, you know, all of those tokens and, and basically complete their collection. Um, which I think that that has a lot of demand because it's such an exclusive thing to collect, um, very high end, you know, tokens that then you'll have that it, it's just a massive, uh, flex for a lot of people to basically say, Hey, I have one of each of these and you can, you know, put them up in your house. You can put them up in a gallery, right? Like people are very interested in collecting. And I think what's exciting about that is you don't have to fill a closet with 
collectibles, you know, like back in the day, you've got beanie babies, you've got all these, you know, like, uh, like toys and, and boxes of cards, you would literally have to just stack them up in your house. And there are people that have rooms full of these, you know, collectibles and like, you don't have to do that anymore. And that's really exciting for, you know, for a variety of reasons. Um, and you can sort of take them with you everywhere you go in your pocket. And I think like, that's such a natural thing for, for like the future generations that are being raised right now. Um, you know, they're playing video games, they're getting skins, they're, they're getting access to, you know, these digital collectibles and they're not on the blockchain. I can only see it becoming more and more native for them to, to sort of own these things, you know, digitally and have a record of their provenance and sort of like, know that, that, Hey, like this is normal. This is, this is how we trade things digitally, right? Like they're It's just going to become second nature. It's kind of like when movies first came out, right? Like it was very awkward. Like at first movies, when they came out, it was like silent, you know, films. And they just had like these really basically shorts where it's just people doing stuff. And it was, it was like very awkward. And that's kind of where we are with the NFTs. And people were like, why would I want to see like a moving just a moving picture. I don't understand it. Is it entertainment? I don't know. And I think for art, like we're kind of at that point with, with this digital art sort of renaissance is we're starting to unlock and understand the potential of it. And that's what I think is really, really interesting is like figuring out, okay, but what is it going to become um, in the future? And I just want to be a part of it. I want to, I want to help define it as much as we can. Yeah, no, super interesting. I I, I get that. It's, I often uh, try and explain to people that uh, the blockchain and, and what's happening here is something new under the sun that you have to think of it in terms of no previous paradigm, really. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole new paradigm being defined. And if you are not at the forefront of it, if you're not involved, then you don't have a say in what it becomes in the next few years and and, and what it looks like um okay so so and also it's, it's an opportunity for people to you know potentially pick up some really interesting pieces that that could become very valuable in in the future um okay so that part of it now i understand now let's talk a little bit about IP and you know, like you had some very interesting uh, viewpoints uh, about what happened with uh, you know the Moonbirds moving to CC zero. So with the pieces that the artists that you are, you know, managing and and or maybe managing is not the right word that you are trying to bring into this space. So let's say when we buy those those pieces, what's the IP rights going to look like? Uh, I don't, I've never really looked into, for example, things like, you know, squiggles, you know, like things like that. I, I haven't actually looked into what you can do with that and what the IP rights are with uh, things like that. But in general, from the viewpoint of like art, art, not PFP, like, you know, like abstract mm -hmm. art or, or generative arts of other forms. What's your experience of, you know, what's the typical IP rights for these things? And then how do you think that? might change over time yeah you. it's a good question i mean i think for for us like we're, we're really looking to do projects that are all over the spectrum whether that's cc0 or full you know uh, rights reserved type of you know projects so it's really up to the artists to to what their you know level of, of comfort is exploring those and experimenting with those different types of licensing um you know, for Woody's in particular, we decided to go with, um, you know, all of the, we basically separated it into two um, collections. One is our core characters and the core characters, um, all the IP is owned by us, by UltraDAO Studios. So um, that allows us to sort of take it and do really whatever we need to do to, to sort of grow the, the brand and the lore and everything around it. Um, and then the generative characters, we license those to holders. So as a holder, you know, you can do sort of whatever you, you know, want to do with that, license it or, you know, um, make derivatives off of it, whatever, whatever that looks like. So that that's our approach with Woody's. Now, one thing I have uh, thought about in the past is like, what if we were to, you know, uh, pursue like a CC0 licensing 
for Woody's. Um, it's not something we're currently like, you know, seriously considering, but I would actually, you know, just based on what I've seen in the space, I would actually lean more towards um, actually opening up the IP for the core characters and, you know, sort of all the lore behind Woody's, because I actually think that's what has the most potential to go viral is stories and specific characters, right? I think where people sort of go down this, this path of thinking about IP rights for, you know, one of 10,000 Moonbirds, for example, right? Like, yeah, Moonbirds might be well enough known that you could do something with that. But at the end of the day, like, I, I think you really have to have a very specific character and you have to have a very specific story that is worth proliferating to the degree that CC0 helps aid in that, right? I think with someone like Xcopy, who really is sort of at the forefront of this like crypto art movement, it makes a ton of sense for uh, Xcopy to license their work as, as CC0 because what it does is it empowers people that are part of that movement and who have bought into that story it allows them to sort of proliferate that those ideas and that content. And Xcopy's really created a whole new genre of art. Um, and there are a ton of, you know, what people will call maybe copycat artists, um, but people that are basically taking that Xcopy style and turning it into their own thing. And they're, you know, riffing on Xcopy's actual, you know, uh, body of work in addition to creating their own new content and their own new art. Um, and I see that being a much more valuable um, type of project or type of, you know, type of uh, art to sort of license under that CC0, um, you know, license. So when you look at something like Moonbirds, you go back to that, it's like, I, I just don't know where that storyline is yet, right? Maybe there, maybe there is one. I, I just don't see it being, you know, quite as impactful as something like Xcopy or something that, uh, that is the story that people could then pick up and sort of morph into something that is their own, that they could then trademark and sort of build a business off of or, or what have you. Right. So that's where I get a little bit, you know, hung up on does CC zero even matter for a lot of these projects? I don't know. I, I frankly don't know. Um, because there's a lot that you can do even with, with projects that just give owners the rights uh, directly and license those, you know, those projects uh, to the holders um, or even, you know, even things that aren't licensed in that way. I mean, there's a lot of art out there that, you know, falls under fair use and, and parody and you don't even really need a license to, to riff off of it in, you know, in the right way as an artist, right? Like you have protections in place for a lot of the things that, that people are doing. I mean, you look at music, you've got Dead Mouse, who has sort of the Mickey Mouse ears, um, you know, that he's sort of taken and, and it's, it's you know, taking on a life of its own, really, as a brand. Um, you know, he's not he's not licensing that from Disney, right? Um, you know, so you look at a lot of that stuff, and it's really more the story. It's more the the lore behind it. And I think those are the things that that really power it is movements, not necessarily just you know just a piece of art that you created. Uh, it has to have some meaning to it. I have to say that um, about the whole CC zero thing. I don't yet have a, a strong uh, opinion. I just don't know enough about it. Um, my, my initial, my first reaction was that why is Kevin comparing it to the things like MFRs and uh, what was another one of oh, goblins that are mm -hmm. essentially no roadmap, no, not even a discord, you know, like why, why is he comparing Moonbirds to those? And uh, and I was just like quite concerned, uh, you know, initially about that, uh, which is why uh, the first question that I asked him was like, you said you wanted to make this a, a top five, you know, PFB. And uh, what what does that mean now? Uh, you know, if it's yeah. um, which he said, no, a thousand percent, you know, we still what we still want to do that. So. Um, yeah, so so I, I have to say I wasn't thrill, thrilled with, with the whole, uh, uh, you know, both with the way that it was um, communicated, but also 
with the fact that it was CC0 because I was like, I don't fully understand it yet. And, right. uh, you know, and I, um, I, or all I can say is that when I was minting this thing, uh, it said that you will own the IP uh, on the website. And it was one of the things that was like, yeah, like you own the IP is one of the reasons why you would want to buy it maybe. And um, it, it just sort of would have made you think twice if if you didn't, right. you know, like uh, have it. I think I would have still minted, uh, but um, but whether I would buy it at 30 ETH, uh, probably not, uh, you know, because yeah. if you spend that much money on something, you want to be able to kind of do something with it. If I if I wanted to do something with my bird that I uh, I always thought I would want to do something with it. You know, I was like starting to build a little brand around it. Um, but now I feel a little bit less inclined doing it, uh, you know, because then anybody else can do it because right. it's like, and, and I understand the argument about, okay, that the, the blockchain is the source of truth, you know, that like, but, but we are, I think the society, I think it's another five to 10 years uh before that is even you know fully accepted I, yeah i think that's a long-term play right like I, I don't think everyone agrees with with that and at the end of the day like you have to have enough of society that agrees that that is ownership right like that equates to you owning something um so i agree with that i mean it's it's hard to know though like I don't know. It, it, it's just, it's so new. Like you said, like it's, it's hard to really know what's what, especially when, when you license it one way and then, you know, all of a sudden it's, it's different. It's changed. Um, yeah. My yeah. Um, conjecture is that um, probably this might have something to do with the, with the whole concept of, um, you know, SEC, cracking down on on nft projects and maybe that by being cc0 it might be a way for um for them to say that we are not uh, you know it might be helpful to them saying that we are not a um a, you know security so so that that could be one of the reasons you know like it, it's it's just a conjecture i don't know enough about it I haven't seen anybody asking that question um, and I will definitely ask uh, Kevin if I can get him on the podcast, but I um, it, I think that there might be something to do with that. And, and the fact that it was, it felt like it was quite rushed the way that it was um, announced. Um, so, so yeah, just wonder whether that's something to do with it. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was very rushed. I, I definitely agree with that. I think that the team would agree with that as well at this point um and until we get to this you know future proof i you know i i, I don't think we'll really know the full plan and, and why they wanted to license under cc0 um fully until they sort of reveal a little bit more about their plans um so yeah i'm, I'm reserving judgment obviously i'm still holding uh one of my uh three birds which you know i, I tried to sell a little bit high so that i could uh, you know, pay taxes and things like that. Um, but I'm still holding mine still nested, you know, so I'm, I'm not super worried about it. And like I said, I don't know how much it really matters at the end of the day, if you weren't trying to license maybe a rare, uh, a rare one, like, I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't know how I feel about it. It just doesn't matter. doesn't, doesn't affect me greatly, but I realize there are others where it, it would. So saying that it's and it's not always necessarily just about the fact that it's a, a rare, you know, item. It could also be because of the association with who you are and the brand that you build, right? Like for example, um, I have my own brand, and uh, you know, like that that is building as well, right? And it could be that if this thing is always sitting on my shoulder when I'm doing, you know, different things, you know, and I, like we are, you know, we're we're building a little, you know journey together and and it's like part of the history of you know somi going into the blockchain space and then like you know when somi becomes you know um 
the future Elon Musk, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like somebody might want to do something with that, with that bird, right? Like, yeah. and I could just like send the bird, you know, into a conference instead of myself, you know, like things like right. that. So, uh, but, but if it's easy zero, it means that anybody can do it. You know? so. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely get that. I think the, the, the idea for these generative projects for me is really digital. It's really like a digital extension of your identity for sure. Um, and that's kind of always been our approach and, and we want that to extend into the metaverse and, and all of these different spaces, uh, cleanly. Right. So I think you can still do that with CC zero, but it, it is like, there's like a sentiment, you know, that, that changes, like you're saying, like, you feel like, well, it's CC zero. So anybody could do this, even if nobody does, it still makes you feel that way. Right. Like, and that's not a great feeling, you know, cause like, I think the idea of ownership is the, the feeling that something is yours and belongs to you and it's connected to you in a, a deeper sense than just, a token necessarily, right. That you've paid 2.5 ETH for or, or what have you. So I think like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely hard to sort of uh, grapple with, with the implications of that, especially when you started out on, on one um, assumption and, and understanding of what it means. And now they've, they've sort of switched it. So I think, you know, a lot of us OGs are going to have to like deal with those feelings and, and figure out sort of how we feel about it. And then for the people that are coming in later, like they don't have to worry about it because they didn't buy under those pretenses. Yeah. Um, and for them, you know, I don't know how they feel because I'm, I'm not in that position. Um, but but yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I think, you know, we always our, our vision for Woody's was always, you know, we want to give holders a digital identity that they can then own and take everywhere. Um, whether that's if they, they run a Twitch stream or, you know, they're on TikTok or, you know, wherever they are, I want it. Like, I want them to be able to be there as their Woody, you know, like take that identity with you. And so that's why we've been working on like 3d characters and, you know, and like pixel characters. And we're, you know, we're looking at all these different places that you could potentially extend into and, and, you know, become your, your avatar. Um, and I do think that's really the point of these generative projects, not just opening up the IP so people can build on top of it and, you know, turn it into some massive franchise necessarily, right? Like Disney comes along and says, I like the, you know, I like the art. I like the story. Let's turn it into a movie. Like, yeah, that's great. It doesn't really affect holders in the sense that like people aren't coming for your for your bird necessarily, unless it's like turns into Mickey mouse, you know what I mean? So it's, it's tough. It's like, yeah, that, that all could happen. It's likely not going to, you know? And so people just sort of assume that there's these upstream impacts to CC zero, you know, just sort of affecting you in that way. And I don't, I don't know that that's like, I'm just not confident that that's true yet. Right. We'll have to see. It's yeah. just too early to really call. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about your involvement with proof. So sure. what does it exactly mean to be a proof artist? Uh, so uh, were you in any of the grails or well, I suppose there's been only one before and the other one uh, we can't talk about even if you are in I wouldn't know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, but but what does it mean to be a proof artist? What does it mean to have that kind of like that green color on uh, on the proof discord? It's a good question. Um, I, I think a lot of us don't fully know. Um, so I mean, I like to give you a little bit of history, the proof discord actually existed before proof uh, collective existed. Um, so there was a group of artists, there was a group of collectors. Uh, who are sort of in this secret, you know, Kevin Rose discord, um, you know, way back, uh, I want to say way back, like last year before, you know, before Proof Collective was even really an idea. Um, and so from there, like, you know, obviously we were kind of invited to stay in the discord um, when Proof Collective launched and we got passes and, you know, and things like that. Um, and I think the, the initial idea really was just like Kevin wanted to bring in artists from a diverse background. Like we wanted, you know, all types of artists to come in and just sort of be there, right? Like build a community around art and, and this new 
you know, culture that's sort of springing up. And so, um, I was just sort of lucky enough to, to be there at the time, um, and, and sort of be included in that because of our Woody's project. And I've, I've been doing art, um, since, you know, since, uh, kind of started getting into NFTs, I've been working in uh, different mediums and, and doing different sort of experimental things. And so I was just invited to, to become a part of the artist group. And I, obviously I was like, yeah, that, that sounds amazing. I would love to. Um, and that's really as far as it's gone for me. I mean, obviously there've been other, other artists that have come in that were part of grails that were invited. Maybe, maybe they were, you know, a part of grails and they were invited as artists. And then there were also artists who haven't been in grails that are, um, you know, just sort of in Kevin's sphere, like he's either found them, um, through a lot of the work that, you know, he's, he's done a lot of work with like different DAOs and, and, you know, his own collecting journey, um, and has sort of stumbled upon different artists and reached out and said, Hey, like, we'd love to have you in, uh, you know, in the, the proof artists, uh, you know, group. So it's just a, a serendipitous group of, you know, like different people from different walks of life that, that do art. Um, and yeah, and I think that's, that's really the extent of it at this point. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting to know because I thought that all of the, uh, you know, proof artists had some form of um, official, you know, either a drop or something. Because in my head, I was, I was like tr trying to understand it, whether it was similar to like being yeah, a Steinway artist. But now I understand it's not quite the same because, um, you know, I work with Steinway and uh, a Steinway artist, um, you know, they, they, first of all, they all have to own a Steinway. So, so to be a Steinway artist, you have to actually buy a Steinway. But and then doesn't mean that just because you have bought a time you become a time artist, you have to be a professional, um, you know, like concert pianist or like, you know, like a professional, somebody who, who does this professionally, you know, like there's like a, a whole list of things that that. So there are uh, there are only 2000 Steinway artists uh, around the world. Um, and and that's it really and, and some of them have passed away you know so every year they have a very limited number of people that can apply or you know that can that can become a Steinway artist so it's like a, it's like so it's this very very um thorough and, and like difficult to become a Steinway artist so this is this is quite different then so it's like yeah, basically yeah, absolutely to be a proof artist is basically an artist who is a friend of Kevin <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean I think to some degree yes yeah. um though Kevin has been really intentional about reaching out and sort of finding other artists that you know he wants to I, I think he really wants to bring others in who maybe aren't as as privileged as someone like me right and expose collectors to their work as much as possible. So I think he's done a really great job at that. Um, obviously we can always do better and, 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 and continue like expanding our, our understanding of, um, you know, just art around the world. Um, and, you know, I think I'm sure that they'll have bigger plans for um, bringing in artists and how that, how that is going to work. I mean, they've talked about doing uh a bunch of different drops throughout the year increasing the the sort of cadence of of drops and um i think that's great like i i love to see it i think the more we can get away from this sort of like speculative you know must must mint a grail by some huge you know huge name artist that's going to sell for 100 eth or whatever like the more we can get away from that and really get into collecting art because we like it and because we connect with it. Um, I think that, that for me is the goal. Uh, it's not just let's all, you know, retire and live off of the money that we made off of the, the backs of these artists that minted, you know, their first projects here. I, I don't, I don't think that's like the long-term <laughs> uh the long-term purview that we should be sort of striving for obviously like there are going to be artists like that and and there are today many artists that are they're doing quite well um financially from you know selling art on the blockchain but i think like for me it's it's more about the experiences that we're that we're fostering together that that make it feel like a community um because if it just feels like we're all you know like day traders like that's just not that's not what I'm here for personally. Yeah, so. no, definitely. I agree with you. So 
let's talk a little bit about this whole recent conversation that has been kicking around in the Discord about royalties, artist royalties. I don't know if you caught that. You know, it was like an ongoing conversation for several days. Yeah. So one of the issues there with that conversation is that, you know, you're lumping in creators like, you know, project creators like uh, myself, for example, have uh, we have our uh, NFT drop coming up and then uh, with artists. And, and I, I think from a creator perspective, um, I think there is a lot of value to having royalties because you spend a lot of time fostering relationship with people. And uh, if they choose to exit, you have to restart building that relationship with somebody new that comes in. So that artist, that, that, um, I see that little royalty as like a slight, you know, compensation towards this new effort that you have to put in to now get to know a whole new person. And like, they come in with their own, um, you know, expectations, etc. Right. So, um, <clears throat> so in, in, in many ways, I think, for projects like, for example, something like the, like my uh, platform, which is an education and networking, etc., um, which is kind of like a, a Web3 version of LinkedIn, you know, sort of. So I don't think NFTs are necessarily the right way to go. So I think that we will have, like, we will have NFTs for the first 10,000 or so people who join, um, you know, maybe like if, uh, if, maybe a little bit more than that. But, but eventually I see it as being something where you just buy a token, it's non-transferable, you can't, you know, you can't uh, trade it, it's, it's only yours uh, and you have to use that to access, you know, the, um, the services. I don't think, like, it doesn't make sense uh, because NFTs aren't generating, you know, uh, revenue, new revenue for the, for the creator. Um, for the artist, I would say it's a similar scenario from the viewpoint of uh, the fact that there is this expectation in Web3 for the artist to develop a relationship and, you know, be there for the, uh, and nurture, you know, like the collectors and, and be, be there for them. Uh, so, so because of that, I think uh, the uh, royalty makes a lot of sense. Uh, because that ongoing churn of you know, people coming in and out of the community. So what's your, what are your thoughts on that um, whole uh, debate? Yeah, so I mean, I think there's, there's a couple different things that we should separate out. I think royalties as just a business model for, for a business that intends to grow and, and flourish um, probably isn't a great business model uh, on its own. I think we need to figure out like the subscription, like crypto subscriptions that are reasonable and sensible. Um, if you're paying for a product and you want to pay for it while you have the subscription, you should do that. And, you know, as a business, like you should be able to expect revenue and, and understand if I, you know, continue to have this number of subscribers and I continue to add this number of subscribers, it means they'll have this much money to then put back into the business or take as profit or what have you like, that's just good business. And, you know, you have to understand those things. And I think with NFTs, it's very hard to understand where you're going to get revenue from when you're, you're operating just on NFT sales plus royalties, first of all. So from a business perspective, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense um, except for the very top of the top, like NFT collections where, they're changing hands so frequently that those royalties are, are paying them, you know, crazy amount of money. Right. Uh, which is just not the, it's just not common. Um, on the other side of it, you look at artists, right. Who historically, traditionally haven't been paid well, you know, aren't able to sort of move their, their work easily, uh, usually are restricted, you know, in terms of like only selling work locally and, you know, going to art fairs and, and, you know, art in the park and like selling it on the street, stuff like that. Right. Where it's, it's like you, you, you know, work extremely, extremely hard just to get enough pieces into people's hands where you can make a little bit of money. Right. And I think like 
what is attracting people to NFTs is the idea that it's a global audience, right? It's a global collector base that anybody can come in and see your art, enjoy it, connect with it, purchase it, right? And and pay you the artist for, you know, for that appreciation. Um, and then the other thing that's, that's bringing artists in is not only that, but like when they sell it in the future, they're able to make money on, on those sales automatically, right? And that's, that's really attractive to artists. I think if we don't have royalties, you will attract fewer artists and you will get lesser and lesser people minting and, and sharing that artwork. And I just think that's a net negative, right? For the, for the world to have fewer pieces of art out there and in circulation. Now the, the highest quality or the, the art with, you know, like sort of the best like lore behind it or whatever, right? Like those, those uh, are the highest cultural impact. Like those are always going to sort of rise to the top in value and, and sort of be more recognized by, you know, some of the bigger collectors out there and, and things like that. And that's great. And those artists should get paid for that. Right. And I think, I think in those scenarios, like I, I want to see royalties honored, you know, as, as much as possible. I don't want people you know, trying to go around them, obviously like, yeah, if you own the token and, and you just want to transfer it to somebody and have them send you money, you know, a different way, like you can do that. Um, you know, and that's, I guess that's like the perks of true ownership is that you have the ability to do that. But I, I personally wouldn't want to see that, you know, um, and I wouldn't do that as a collector. So, you know, whenever I look at, at buying art, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to look at the whole picture, you know, what, is who is the artist? What is the, what is the art? You know, what is it saying to me? What are the royalties attached to this? You know, if it's if it's an extremely high royalty, that might dissuade me from wanting to purchase that, and that's okay. Like you you look at the whole picture when you're making that decision. I think a lot of people ignore that, and then after the fact, they're like, "Oh, well, I don't want to pay this because this is now, you know, I paid one ETH for it, and now it's worth 0.06, right?" and like, why should I pay them royalties if I lost this much money on it? And it's like, well, but you bought it. Like, <laughs> you need to take ownership for your own actions, right? And I think, like, people people just sort of get into this place where they're, like, you know, sort of desperate to to find a reason why the artist shouldn't get their royalties off of it. And I'm just like, I don't know. I, I just don't feel the, the same way about it. Um, I feel like coming from a, a background as a creative, like, you bought it under those, those terms, under those pretenses, right. Just honor it and, you know, and, and respect the, you know, the, the craft as much as you can um, when, when interacting in that way. And I think that's, that's where the blockchain is not just, you know, an enforcement layer because it, it obviously isn't always enforcing it, but it's, it's more of a social contract that, you know, is, is setting an expectation that not only, you know, do you own this token, that's connected to this art and this artist, but you sort of agree to follow the, you know, the, the things that have been outlined, which is when you sell it on the marketplace, you pay the marketplace fee and you pay, you pay the artist, right? Like <laughs> those are sort of the things that socially like are acceptable in my, in my opinion. Yeah. I think, I think the main thing is that because royalties aren't, you can't bake them into the contract and that it's just something that has been set by say OpenSea, et cetera you know uh that that people are arguing that this is not part of the contract it's like you can't well you can so i mean technically you can force people to pay the royalties um otherwise you can block transfer of it now a lot of people would argue hey is that even real ownership right if if you can stop me from moving my token around to different wallets just because somebody didn't pay a royalty on it is that do I even really own that? And so there's there's sort of some conflict there, which I think makes sense. There's there's logic behind that. Um, and you also, I mean, if you if you do truly restrict it, you also really disable the ability for people to buy and sell because the marketplaces would then have to integrate with all of those contracts and make sure that you know everybody is following those rules. And there would have to be some sort of standard, you know, there is a standard, but like not quite to that level, right? Like not quite to the level of like preventing transfer without royalties being received, um, which I just think is like, we, sh we shouldn't have to go to that extreme. 
yeah. I'd rather see marketplaces just honor the the regular you yeah. know royalties that are built in. I think that uh, it's uh, definitely in 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 um, relation to art. I think a hundred percent they uh, they need to be there, but I think in in relation to you know uh, something like proof, um, you know this this is the sort of thing where you buy that token with a uh, certain understanding of what you think you know it is and and then you there is no try before you buy you have to pay like 150 grand you know to to join uh, right and then it could be that most of the basically most of the time people would be wanting to sell for two reasons either they are not uh, happy with the if you will, service, you know, whatever you call it, you know, like what an uh, experience, right? They're not happy with the experience and they want to sell um, because it's not what they thought it would be or, you know, they're just not happy. Uh, or they want to sell because they need the money, you know? So like one of those yeah. two things, right? Um, and because of the market volatility, you know, let's say, for example, I bought my proof pass at 74 ETH and a lot of the ETH that I bought was at 3000. You know, some of it I bought at uh, 1400, but, but some of it I bought when it was like 2700 to, to 3000. Um, and then uh, if I wanted to sell it now, it's like 60 ETH uh, right now, the right. floor is 60 ETH. And then by the time I also pay royalty, you know, like I, I'm eating a loss of like something like 24 ETH pretty much. Right. Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where people are coming from when it's something like proof where they already have made a lot of money from the, you know, from from people. So so that's that's like a very hard pill, pill to swallow. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I agree. I hear I mean, your... That's hard. It's hard to it's hard to justify any of it. Right. Like you know, you go to a country club and ask for their membership fees. And, you know, there's an upfront fee, there's a monthly fee, maintenance fee, whatever, right? Like there's all these different things going on and you don't get any of that back. Right. So like, if you look at it in terms of how memberships work today and how memberships work in the real world, like in, you know, in, in like legacy, um, you know, clubs and memberships, you don't get any of it back, right? There's no value other than the value that you can extract from the membership itself. And so when I look at it that way, it's kind of like, okay, well, it, it sort of makes sense. And it's nice that you can get value back out of it if you didn't, you know, have a good experience or, or what have you right now. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the market volatility side of it, the, the value tanking over time versus staying consistent, all of that is problematic, right? Um, but it's a free market. So I, the way I view all of that is it's sort of like, well, it is what it is. You know, like if you couldn't afford to buy it, you shouldn't have bought it. If you can't afford to sell it with a royalty attached to it, you shouldn't maybe have bought it in the first place. You know what I mean? So I kind of go, I kind of lean more towards this like personal responsibility side of, you know, being, smart with your finances and and not buying into things that maybe you don't have $250,000 to go spend on a, <laughs> on a, a special club membership. Right. Um, so th those are the types of things I look at and I'm like, would I do this in the, in the real world? Would I go out and join some business networking um, membership for a quarter of a million dollars or whatever? No, I wouldn't do that. You know? So I think we're, I think we're just looking, a lot of us are looking at crypto as like play money and not real money but we have to stop doing that like we have to we have to take ownership that hey this is real money you can sell it today for real money and put it in your bank account and use it um and so that's kind of how i look at it i think if if you buy a token you know you, you better be committed um to to all that it entails uh, especially the the memberships and and things like that i just bought i just recently bought it into the 333 club uh, with zeneca um sold my my grails mint pass uh and you know bought in for like 80th and you know it's like for me i i know that i'm going to get value out of that um just from being a part of that group and if i wasn't confident in that i shouldn't have bought it and i wouldn't have bought it you know what i mean 
Um, so that, that's kind of how I feel about it. I, I mean, I do feel for people, you know, I mean, the financial side of it is, is tough. Like if you're spending a lot of money on something, you would hope that it would hold its value. Um, but again, in the real world, like you don't even really have that option to sell later. So, yeah, that's fair enough. I guess, um, you know, the uh, kind of happy medium that we reached, uh, was that as the value of the token goes up, you know, let's say, uh, say, for example, um, seven and a half percent makes sense when you are up to say 10 ETH, but when it gets to nearly a hundred ETH, you know, then, then that's like. Uh, quite a lot. So, so it would make sense because like, let's say one ETH, um, 1% of a hundred ETH is still something, um, you know, it's still something meaningful. But if you, if you the value of your token is like less than 10 ETH, then, you know, then that's different. So I think one, um, uh, I look as a, as a builder myself, I don't know whether I would do this, but one option that I can imagine is that maybe as the value of the token goes up, the amount of royalty could come down. I can see that being interesting. I think, I think where I struggle with any of it is like, I am not the one building proof, right? I mean, yeah, like community is important and everybody that's in, involved is to some degree, you know, responsible for the ecosystem thriving, but I am not working on the company, the you know, the projects, the things that they're doing to increase the value of being in, in proof. Um, and for me, I look at it as it's sort of a shared incentive model. There is something weird about the shared incentive being that you have to sell in order to realize that incentive. Um, though we do get a lot of airdrops and, you know, I, obviously I got the mint pass that I sold and, um, you know, things like that, that, that do, you know, uh, sort of pay you back over time. Um, but there is something weird about the incentive model where it's like, if, if you really want to, to fully realize, um, the value you have to sell and, and exit, uh, which I think is such a shame because a lot of really great people are seeing this life-changing money come in and they're like, ah, I gotta, I gotta get this hundred thousand dollars or whatever. Right. Like, and you can't blame them for that. That's, that's a lot of money. You know, if you minted something for one ETH, yeah, uh, that's good for money. people who minted for one ETH, but, um, but right. for example, it's not great for people that bought it 100. Yeah, for sure. So it's, it's it, the, the, yeah, like the range of experiences is so varied. Um, you know, because like you can have people that are extremely happy with proof that bought for one ETH, and you've got people that are extremely dissatisfied with proof who bought for 100. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, it, it's and, a really tough thing to manage those expectations, to manage. Yeah how people feel and the, the sentiment towards an organization when that's sort of the, the disparity that, that exists between, you know, yeah, who's in absolutely. it. Absolutely. And what other, you know, I, I in some ways, like I, the more I think about it, the more I'm realizing how bad this business model is because when you buy at high and you come in, um, you know, you are, not only you have paid more than everybody else, but also you are seen as a newcomer and you're, you know, and like, and you, it's almost like you never, you're never getting the respect, you know, uh, for, from, you know, people who have been there from day one, like, you know, I came in at, uh, so let's say, uh, proof has been in for like what, nine months. And I, I came in at like, say just over two months ago. Um, and, uh, well, actually, it's becoming almost three months now, right? Um, and at some point, I remember like a couple of weeks ago, when was it, that somebody mentioned to me that, um, you know, you're quite new yourself here. And I was like, what does it mean to be new when the whole thing is only like nine months, right? right. <laughs> like, 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 you know, I, like I, I, yeah. you know I, I, I've been here for a, a quarter, uh, like not a quarter, like a third of that time. And I have paid a lot more to be there, right? So the business model, it's really, really, it uh, like it doesn't make sense, you know. But like I, I've always always um, heard about, read about the fact that oh, tokens, you know, they will help align incentives. Actually, they don't, and because like in this case, right, you can see, you can see how aligning incentives, uh, you know, can be like problematic in if you think that you know you're going to use the token 
to align incentives because because if if people can keep um you know speculating on that token and the price of it goes up and then you have people who buy high and and like when when the time that i bought in it means i didn't get two moon birds you know like i didn't get all of those you know different things and who knows whether there will be anything like that down the line that i would you know make my right. money back or something right so uh so and at the same time you are also seen as a uh you know a new member so 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 there's all of that dynamic so it's a very difficult business model i think that all makes sense i mean it's it certainly is something we've thought about um for ultra dow is it's it's not really something we want to do where it's just like we just keep releasing dilutive you know new nft collections over and over you know we only have one woody's collection there was no you know we didn't have oddities you know kind of a secondary drop or anything like that um and for us we're really trying to create like i said we're trying to create these art experiences and i think that has value in itself over time whereas these memberships really make it tough to to realize that value and have a consistent experience um and knowing what you get so like ultra pass for us knowing what you get from that it's art right like you're getting access to these experiences you're going to access these artists um and to everything that we have uh, have to offer at ultra now um and i think like setting that expectation up front is is very healthy and can help people sort of understand what they're going to get if they purchase on secondary whereas i think with something like proof it's like hard to know because they've released three you know three collections of pfps they've released two grails they did the heart you draw i mean they've had all these drops and it's just sort of all over the place. And so it's hard to know if I buy a proof token today, proof collective, what do I get access to that that's going to help me? If you're looking from a financial, you know, perspective, like how is, how do I know that what I'm, what I'm getting into is, is something that is defensible financially. And yeah, that's hard. I mean, that's, it's hard with anything in NFTs today, especially with a bear market, you've got people questioning everything. Um, but I think over time, it's probably not going to get better. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, okay. No, this has been super interesting, very, very informative. Uh, and I think a lot of people listening to this will, uh, enjoy a lot of food for thought. Um, and like, we are very early in this space with our tokens. I've set the end date for them 2024. So that it gives me, I didn't want to have like something going on forever and ever and ever, because yeah. who knows where this space will be, right? Uh, right. And, and um, you know, it may be that NFTs are not the right um, answer. So, uh, or maybe that we find a new way to bring value to people, etc. you know, like, but, but the, the good thing is that we know that we already have the value. We've got a platform, we've got the content there. We've got the, you know, daily live mentoring, we, you know, we have the um, kind of the uh, networking opportunities and all that stuff. So uh, it's, 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 it's very different, but I do worry about, you know, token prices going up too much because when they do, uh, that money is not coming back into the company that you can use it to, you know, generate new value for people. Uh, right. and, but, but from the viewpoint of people who are buying it, they're like, I paid this much for this token and therefore how do I make my money back? You know, like how, yeah. how do you get value from it? Exactly. Yeah, no, that's, it's really tough. And, and I've said this before, I think like as we move, so as a project moves from speculative to real utility and an understanding of what you're getting, you're going to see all of these prices crater on, you know, and, and they're just going to get destroyed on floor prices and all of that. Because once you take away the speculative side and the speculative nature of a collection, it trends towards the actual value that people can expect to get out of it. And the same thing is going to happen with proof. The th same thing is going to happen with Moonbirds, right? Like, all of these tokens, they're going to trend towards the actual utility value and people are going to look at them as a dollar amount, right? And so I think you're going to start to see that. You're already starting to see that. 
um, especially in a market like this, where it's like people are understanding what they're getting out of it and projects aren't able to just sort of, you know, tease, you know, sort of like um, interesting looking images on Twitter and, you know, sort of have this mystery behind it. And everybody's like, oh, is this going to get me another three ETH airdrop or whatever? You know what I mean? So I think as you, as you trend towards that real utility and a real understanding of the value of a token, you're just going to see people selling at the, at, at that value level, um, which I think is healthy for the market, uh, long-term and healthy for those, those projects, because you don't want people buying in when it's inflated, uh, you know, and getting wrecked. So. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, thank you so much. This has been super interesting. Uh, I hope to have you back, you know, in a few months and, and, uh, see how things have turned, uh, turned out with ultra DAO and you know everything that you're doing so um yeah thank you thanks for your, uh, yeah. for your time thank you for having me i really appreciate it i hope you enjoyed this conversation with chris wallace be sure to check out ultra DAO and join them if you're an art collector and passionate about all things decentralized ip if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. The full interviews are also available on my YouTube channel, The Somi Ariane Show.